mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Good afternoon, good morning, good evening, wherever you are in the world. I am Russell Tovey. And I'm Robert Diamond. And this is Talk Art. Welcome to Talk Art. How are you today, Robert? Today, Russell, I am feeling vibrant. Mm. And I'm feeling geometric. And I've actually been thinking <laughs> a lot about, well, actually looking at uh, light coming in through my window because I have a beautiful tree now in my garden. And um, on a day like today, thank God it's become sunny again um, yeah. because the British summer this year has been a bit wet, especially yes. in Margate. But gray. it seems like we're getting a, a later summer, luckily. And I've been getting this beautiful light and it changes throughout the day. And it got me thinking about today's guest because their work... Um, frequently refers to kind of temporal conditions you know like the, the passing of time and um, I've always been really struck by the the, the the way that they use color and shape and form and and they sort of create sculptures that that will improve your experience of the everyday because often they they have work in the public realm and recently I obviously haven't I've been spending my my summer in the UK and I actually did a kind of city break to London and there's been this incredible installation high up um, in Piccadilly on the streets of these beautiful geometric flags which we're going to be talking about today and also um, the guest we're about to meet has an amazing show currently on um, at the box in Plymouth and it's been a touring show of the this most incredible installation which also relates to this concept of dappled light so we are very, very proud to welcome the wonderful artist, Rana Bagum. Hi, Rana. Hi, Rana. Hello. hello. <laughs> How are you? Uh, I'm good. So nice to meet you. And actually, we can see trees behind you and, and in fact, dappled light, perhaps. <laughs> yeah, this is my uh, amazing view that I wake up to every morning and I absolutely love it each morning it's just so different and you know whatever the weather it's so incredible and I actually love it when it um rains and windy and you know sometime you have sun coming through and it just feels like you're somewhere quite exotic yeah because you've got like a corner window behind you and you've got I don't know what those are that looks like birch trees potentially behind you yeah um so they're kind of Actually, if you so this is Abney Park Cemetery. So when you walk through, there are lots of actually interesting plants in there. But yeah, these are kind of the basic ones that you see. I can't remember what they're called. 
Um, but they really, the cemetery is kind of overgrown and it's one of the uh, magnificent seven cemeteries in London. And I just asked... Is that a real thing? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> There is. I'd never heard that. Yeah, it's, I absolutely love it. So they've won actually lottery funding to restore the cemetery. There's a little church in the middle as well. So yeah, they've been working really hard kind of. It's just so beautiful in there. So if you are in Hackney, definitely go in there for a walk. That's where you're based and your studio is as well. I am, yeah. I'm, I'm based in Hackney and I love it. I absolutely love the area you know my kids go to school here and you know everything is walking distance so I don't have to kind of venture out very far and you live above your studio yes is that a budgetary thing or is that just something that happened is that do you need to be near the work and um I think basically I I'm quite obsessive and you know, when you have kids, obviously they take priority and then you've got to fit your work in whatever time you have available. So I bought this warehouse in 2011 with the hope of building um, a living space and a workspace, uh, which would mean that I could prioritize the kids and my work. Um, so it's taken me, It's a, it's been a 10 year project and it's been amazing to have this kind of closeness with the work and it means that when the kids go to sleep I can go go down and work oh cool um and you never you never sleep yourself then (laughs) (laughs) actually oh my god um so yesterday and today my energy level has been quite high and when I'm like that I can actually work without eating and sleeping yeah that's Quite, your superpower yeah, that's it's like a clarity of vision or something oh wow. superpower <laughs> so Lon- London's played a big role in your life because you I know you studied um in London in the late 90s I think and then 20 years later you were actually made a royal Academician. literally 20 years later it's amazing in 2019 and then now you, you've kind of got this amazing installation of these geometric different shapes on these flags all the way through Piccadilly so what does that feel like to sort of you know have, have grown up as an artist with in this city that you love so much and now in the center of the heart of the bustling capital your work is there this is all with art of london which is yes. happening I, I was there the other week i was introducing the uh, the cubes with the national portrait gallery yeah. and it's, it's just yes yeah, it's, it's, it's this incredible these outdoor exhibitions these public artworks yeah. and yeah as rob said you're an ra but this was a collaboration with the ra as well these flags yes it, it did come through the royal academy yeah i mean it's been kind of quite strange seeing my career develop but it's been kind of a slow progression which i absolutely love i think it's been interesting and challenging i never imagined to be in a position where i could say that I am earning a living from what I do. I think my ambition was kind of to have somewhere where I can, you know, even a shed at the bottom of the garden to be able to make work and that I would have been happy with. So this, to me, sometime I have to kind of pinch myself and think, am I really here? You know, (laughs) Um, and it, it it is incredible. And, you know, it's been a lot of hard work as well and I think yeah I've I've enjoyed kind of the ups and downs of you know of the art world and it's been interesting and being made a Royal Academician 
you know, that's that's a whole nother thing that I, yeah, I mean, it's interesting as well to be amongst a peer group that you admire, respect, and to know that they've kind of selected you is obviously incredible. But then it has a side to it as well that you sometimes kind of feel uncomfortable about you know so yeah there's lots of kind of mixed feelings well, can I pro- can we press you on that then is that because of the history of the RA and the fact that it was very patriarchal for many many years yeah yeah and it's just you know I don't think I'm better or worse than anyone else I don't think it gives me any kind of power I think that's something that you really kind of yeah, that's something that I'm still kind of mulling over in my head and what it means and how I come to terms with it or, you know, work with it, if you like. But what I do love, like, for instance, you know, the summer exhibition, for instance, is is incredible. I worked on it last year. And, you know, that's an opportunity where you really get to kind of show work with artists that you've never met and you know don't have opportunities to show in places like that so there are you know really positive things (laughs) so can we can we talk about these flags then that are going all the way down piccadilly and they have this beautiful motif which is this geometric mosaic intricate design and i don't know how many flags there are but there's something really beautiful about the repetition because they go Mm. all the way down as the eye can see how did how did this collaboration with art of london come up and what is it like to have work on a big scale like that in a public sector um so the a few questions there so there's um <laughs> yeah, sorry <laughs> bombarded <laughs> um so that collaboration came through the royal academy and um as an ra you know you get approached to do various things and i found it quite interesting because i liked the idea um i've been working on a project actually in bristol for a music hall And that commission has been going on for about four or five years now. And it's actually a progression from that commission. And the commission in Bristol is kind of textile based. And it's a material that I've been interested in for a long time. I haven't had an opportunity to kind of work with and develop. And so the Bristol commission gave that opportunity and, and that when I got approached to do the um, Piccadilly flags, um, I, I took it from that. And it's exploring kind of movement, it's exploring change of colour and how, you know, things kind of shift and whether it's noticeable kind of that shift, basically. Do they come to you and say, what would you like to do? It has to be above head height along Piccadilly. Yeah, I, I was given some perimeters to work with. So it has to be, you know, at certain height, it has to be uh, tied across the buildings, and it has to be something that kind of also works with the elements. So we explored different material, but unfortunately, because of various kind of limitation and health and safety, we couldn't go down that route so we had to go back to kind of the printing method and that's how 
one of the things I really love about it is this idea of time passing as well and and a kind of melody almost that there's some kind of within the mm. movement as you're walking it almost sings to you there's yeah. something about the Jazz, mosaics yeah. Yeah, yeah and I know the art of London were really interested in this idea of art of entertainment yeah which which in a way you wouldn't necessarily immediately associate with with art but I, I love the way that you've managed to create an artwork that is actually sort of joyful and and, and about melody almost yeah I mean yeah when you think about entertainment you think about sound and music and and so I think I mean we you know I am my work is definitely you know I would say inspired by music inspired by repetition inspired by rhythm so that kind of felt like a perfect fit to kind of respond to something like that with you know what's being worked on in the studio so whatever public art commission that I do it always links with what's happening in the studio and so yeah Russell you were asking about public art I absolutely love having my work in that kind of realm because I think it's an opportunity to kind of for the work to really respond to the location and the function of the space and the challenges, the natural kind of challenges. You know, for instance, um, catching colour on City Island, you know, that was a really challenging location. And we've, again, that was a project that we worked on for about four years. And the reason it was challenging, the location is kind of like a wind tunnel. And so... Yeah, it it really kind of affects the way you make the work, the material you use and how, you know, something is kind of stands the the elements, basically. Mm. So, Well, this one, especially because it's a public commission, but in general, you are an artist that considers an audience. There's some artists that make work and they just make work because they love it. And I'm sure you do have that side yeah. of you, but the work that we all see, the audience feels like they are the activation for your artworks. You are looking for an audience. Yeah, I guess so. I mean, I don't think about it in that way. I think I, for me, I think about how someone uses the space and I think about how they kind of navigate the space and the way they move. So it's about kind of capturing different kind of moments within the work. There's a curator, um, you know, Zeba Ardalan had kind of, said um, quite beautifully about my work that you know it has kind of dual experience most of my work and that was something that I was kind of really I feel much more and more kind of conscious about my work and it's about creating those kind of moments where it's kind of bright vibrant incredibly um kind of active and then there are moments where it's kind of quite calm quite contemplative and I really like those kind of shifts that you have and I think that kind of stems from me not being able to focus or keep the focus on something for a very long time so I I need to be I need to have something that's kind of constantly kind of questioning and active and so, oh, so you personally feel like you can't focus, but you want to hold the viewer's attention. I don't necessarily want to hold the viewer's attention. I want the viewer to be able to come back, keep coming back to the work. 
and and discovering something else that they haven't discovered. So it's not necessarily about producing something that you stand there and stare at. You know, you could just walk past and you can notice something that, you know, light falling on it and it just interacts with the light and the space and something happens and you think, oh, I didn't notice this about the work. And that's why I think also for me, you know, the change of light is really important and why I'm, I feel constantly those kind of fleeting moments I'm trying to capture in my work. I like the idea that the work is almost alive in a way, yeah. um, you know, and it's got its own kind of universe even without being looked at. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like it's existing, like you're, you're aware of its existence even yeah. without a viewer, that's, actually. That's a really beautiful way of putting it. And I also love the fact that, you, you know, how you're saying kind of time passing, you know, I guess it's also about kind of slowing down a little bit, which I'm not very good at doing. Oh, interesting. So the art uh, sort of provides for you a space where you can <laughs> slow down, perhaps. Yeah. yeah, kind of just makes you pause. And I think that's kind of the experience I have, you know, when you're walking down the street or, you know, anywhere in the world, whatever city you're in, you know, I think sometimes we we can forget where we are, we can forget why we're there or you know, forget to observe. I I first discovered your work through the wonderful London gallerist Kate McGarry. And the thing that always struck me about your work was it's always identifiably yours. Like if I see a work by you, I know it's a Rana Begum work, but you use so many different materials. And I've always been really impressed by the expanse of materials yeah. you use from like, whether it even be basket, almost like basket weaving yeah. or like, um, you know, perspex, perspex kind of um, sheets yeah. or metal or mesh or, and, and also there's often a, a lightness to the work somehow, because even though it is a big sheet of perspex, it's yeah. really about how the light is going through all those different colours and yeah. how the time of day passes and the shadows move through it. So even something that's quite solid and heavy, it becomes very light and quite sensorial yeah. and quite, I don't know, soulful. Yeah, it can be quite contradictory, if you like, um, yeah. in terms of some of the materials that I use. But I don't know, I feel incredibly lucky and fortunate to be an artist and to be an artist that can, you know, be affected by people and the space around you, you know, around is we're incredibly fortunate to be in that position and so to limit oneself to a medium or a an approach to an idea is I think it's a shame I think I don't know I mean this is one of the reasons why I did art I remember actually doing doing my foundation course at Hertfordshire University and I remember just being wowed by the possibility of art and you know the direction it could go you know I and there were moments where I was thinking oh I'd really like to be an architect I'd really like to be a designer I'd really want to go into textile printmaking sculpture and everything I did I just couldn't pull myself away from those kind of um, discipline and I thought well you know when it came to finally choosing because obviously, you know, I, I had to choose which degree I was going to do, which master's. I was thinking, this is ridiculous, the fact that I have to kind of limit myself. And so I ended up doing painting because 
painting for both my BA and MA, it really gave me that possibility, you know, to use whatever materials and to experiment, to try things out. And I feel like, you know, my core interest has always been colour, light and form. And and those three things kind of run through all the different series of work. And I feel like, you know, I can still kind of have that identity. Not that that worries me. I think I'm kind of driven by the interaction between colour, light and form and what certain material does. Yeah, and so I'm, I'm kind of really fascinated by how light act, would activate those kind of three things. When did you find light as a material then? I think I read this story about growing up in Bangladesh as a kid yeah. and you strayed off into a mal-only area because you were fascinated and transfixed yeah. by the light that you were seeing. Yeah, this was actually through... Um, well, I, I, I love therapy I've been getting therapy for years and and it was actually I think it was after I had my um, second child it was connecting this moment of you know growing up as a child to my work and kind of making sense of why I, I desperately needed like even when building this place you know I remember giving a brief to the architect and saying, you know, light, and I don't want to wear any thermals, you know, so there were kind of, and no water feature in the building. <laughs> um, those were the three main things. Why no water feature? Oh my Just, god, because they're your um, bugbear. You don't like them. No, I love water, but originally this building used to be an engineering factory, and it was asbestos-covered roof, and I lived and worked in here secretly, and it was constantly leaking. <laughs> it was just because it'd be triggering now if you saw water in, in, yeah, in the yeah, house yeah, right 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 like, yeah. no water feature i just i want a leak proof building so you know like um yeah it was cognitive analytical therapy and you know where it delves into your kind of childhood and looks at kind of you know reasons why you know why you are what you are as an adult so I loved that <laughs> me too attachments I'm all about attachments yeah. tell me and yeah. um yeah so there was kind of this moment you know where she was asking about what it was like growing up as a child in Bangladesh and I kind of remember thinking back that I was quite a um loner you know I I was quite I used to kind of wander around by myself a lot. And, you know, I remember my mum kind of screaming at me, you know, for sitting and staring into the space and getting bitten by mosquitoes, you know, and she'd just be like shouting at me, just get back in the house, you know. And I was all, I spent a lot of time out wandering the fields. And I kind of was wondering, well, why was I doing that? And, and so the more I looked at it, the more, you know, the memory of kind of sitting and staring and what I was looking at was coming back. And so Bangladesh, where I grew up, there were kind of two bathing pools, one for men and one for women. The women's bathing pool was kind of very discreet and kind of screened off, but the men's was open and, you know, you had a lot of kind of natural light. So I used to hang out 
there a lot when it wasn't being used and the reflection and the light was so beautiful and I also spent a lot of time kind of the rice fields that kind of intense green so all of those things it was such a wonderful connection and it made sense for me so many things made sense Um, this kind of need and drive to be around light and different kind of light and also kind of movement and just being able to kind of yeah I mean even this view I just I love I love spending time with this view I love spending time just staring into kind of this I think I'm quite I, I can be quite hyper and quite active And so I'm always striving for this kind of calmness in my work. And actually, I remember um, Tess Duray, who's an artist that I assisted for about five years, and she's my mentor, and she's someone that I kind of go to. And she said something about how, you know, we're always trying to achieve something in our work that we can't achieve in ourselves, you know, so the work is a kind of reflection of what we want our life to be. And um, I thought that was quite interesting, um, you know, constantly trying to achieve perfection in my work, which I cannot. It's interesting thinking about that, the water spaces as well for, yeah. for the swimming. It's almost like the way that light reflects onto water and like the ripples within yeah. the water. It kind of makes me think about the rhythm within those flags as well. There's something quite like... yeah. I don't know about that about that that movement of nature. Yeah, 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 I wasn't sure if that was going to be achievable at that scale at that height, mm. and because also the flags are quite far apart, whether you could see the effect of it. But I think the use of color, because you've got different colors as it goes. Yeah, it changes through. Oh yeah, that's true. Actually, the sky yeah. is connected to the work. Yeah, yeah. 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 Um, if we're thinking about your use of colour in different materials, there's an amazing show on at the moment, um, also in the UK, in Plymouth at The Box, which is a wonderful contemporary art centre. And it's called Dappled Light, which is very apt. <laughs> um, and it's been touring around the world. So it's been in Dubai. I think it was um, in yeah. Warwick and in Ealing and other places. Yeah. What's it like to have a work like like that, that travels through different places? Do you experience it in a completely new age time? Yeah, so the show originally um, uh, kind of started at Mead Gallery in Warwick and it was kind of in, in response to the new space and also looking at the new kind of series in my work. So, you know, I had I had this show with Parasil Unit in 2016, which really showed kind of the progression in my work and gave a narrative that's quite difficult to have with abstract work. And after that show, I, I knew there was a sense of like departure. There was a sense of it was going somewhere else. And so the show Mead Gallery was kind of really in response to that, where the work is now, and really responding to the new space there as well. And then the opportunity came for the work, the show, the entire show to tour. And I, you know, I really struggle with, like I said, you know, with the same sameness, I think. So things have to change, things have to shift. And a lot of my work 
really responds to architecture. So it didn't make sense for the show to be exactly the same, you know, when mm. it was going to different locations. So it was very different when it was at Pitts Hanger, you know, and again, that was an incredible space. And I'd never heard of it, actually. And it's an amazing building, like Sir John Soane um, designed it. Yeah. And the room where you, uh, you know, had your artwork um, suspended in space yeah. was actually next to this giant dome, yeah. this kind of stained glass dome. Well, he was someone that brought in light in a really interesting way. And again, you know, when you go to the Soane Museum as well, I mean, I absolutely love how you know, when you walk through the museum, how how beautiful it is in the way he brings light in and mm-hmm. you really see all the different kind of components and, you know, detail in the architecture. Um, so that was a building that I've known for years and never thought I'd have the opportunity to show there. And I actually remember my ex having a group show there and thinking oh my god this is so incredible I'd love to be able to show in this place so when the opportunity came I I was just so excited to be and to respond to someone who is already you know really playing with light and really thinking about space was incredible I think he was so much about perception, wasn't he? Really, exactly. there's some kind of like profound subconscious yeah. relationship to light. Yeah, I mean, he. I felt like again, light was also a material for him. You yes. know, um, so the in the way that the cloud was kind of lit. You know, I remember installing. Actually, I had COVID at the time, and I oh. I wasn't allowed in the building. I was <laughs> I was outside. <laughs> And I just remember kind of as we started putting the the cloud piece up, you know, it's just, it was just so beautiful. And I didn't want any artificial light in it. And then the opening came and it was in the evening and suddenly realized, I was like, ah, okay, we do need some artificial light. Right, right. That was quite funny. But these works for me are, are ones that I'm really drawn to, these kind of cloud bursts. Yeah. I think they're catching colour and they're made with all these multicoloured mesh and they're, they're room-sized. They're, they're huge, but they have this lightness of a cloud. Yeah. When did you start working on these? And the, and the one that's in the box, Plymouth, is within like a, a, a church, uh, like an old church. They've yeah, filled that space Luke's, with it. Yeah. So this is a series that kind of stemmed from these paintings that I've been doing for a few years. And the paintings come from another series that basically we have to, when we uh, spray these um, bar section works, um, we have to check the spray cans for consistency and flow, you know, and how the paint kind of attaches to the surface. And so when we're checking each can you're building up a layer you're building up a narrative of what's been happening in the studio and uh, so those paintings we used to throw away I can't believe (laughs) and then one day I was like hang on a sec just stop you know can can I see this out of the spray room in the in the studio and the more I was looking at it the more I felt these paintings were sculptures and I was like there's something there and for a few years I just had them we didn't show them anywhere I just wanted to keep them in the studio 
And then I was like, okay, you know, how do I bring it out into the physical space? And also I, I love this idea that your entire vision is kind of, is filled with this. And so there is something about kind of having a connection with the body. So most of those that you'd see, they are um, at a level where you are physically can connect to them. And so that's, yeah, so I just, I then started getting, you know, kind of wire mesh and started forming it and spraying them and slowly and they started off kind of really small you know things that you can hold in your hand and and I was like thinking oh this is really interesting and I loved it when the light kind of fell on it and then I was thinking what would happen if I made it slightly bigger and they just kept growing and growing and growing so big that you could barely pick up on your own will they get bigger do you think (laughs) I I don't know but I'm really I'm still excited by this series they're brilliant, still yeah. interested in what happens um you know when they go to a space so it's kind of yeah I mean there are moments where I'd stop a series and I'm not finding you know anything more so this is a, a quite a new series that we're still kind of pushing in the studio and trying things out Life is full of what-ifs, some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry, and some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard Fixed Indemnity Insurance Plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs, no deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss plushcare.com slash weight loss it's exciting the kind of fine detail versus the giant expanse yeah. i'm really into all these dualities and these kind of contradictions in a way which become this really positive energy yeah. force. and that's so true and actually um because you brought up something earlier robert about you know how they might seem lightweight but actually they could, you know, the material could be quite heavy. So there's a piece that I did in 2018, which is kind of made of glass and it was for freeze um, 2018. And, you know, again, like that's a really heavy sculpture. You know, it's two pieces of glass that's kind of laminated together. And you wouldn't think that's not what you experience, you know, first you know, the first time you see it, or even the work I made during my residency with Tate St. Ives, you know, inspired by Barbara Hepworth, I made these kind of floats, and I made them with plaster, and then I made them with marble. Um, So it's kind of, I love this kind of contradiction. And I think that's kind of interesting, it makes you think, it makes you question, and I want my work to be doing that constantly. I want my work to kind of 
question your surrounding and the way you look at things. Is it easy for you to think big? Is that like the architecture brain, like like the flags that are going down Piccadilly, which seem endless, yeah. and these room-sized uh, installations pieces that you're making? Do you, does your brain automatically go bigger? Not necessarily. Um, I mean, I remember when I was at Chelsea, I I didn't have the money didn't have the space to make huge scale work and you know I started making little models of it you know and I like would maquettes kind of, like yeah little maquettes but, but I guess in your head thinking of the bigger picture though thinking you know yes, and I was right. like you know and I was wondering at that time you know I just wanted it to get bigger and bigger and I couldn't you know and it, I remember at the time I was really intrigued by the idea of the infinite and so that's something that really was kind of pushing my work and pushing scale as well. So, yeah. I guess that's light is infinite, isn't it? I guess it's yeah. like the possibilities of light. Exactly. It's endless. The way you describe your work is minimalist abstraction. And for people listening, yeah. what is that exactly? What is minimalism? And how did you, you find minimalism for yourself? Um, well, I discovered minimalism during my foundation. I had this amazing tutor who saw my work and and was like, I need you to come to the library now and I want to show you some stuff. And he took me to the library and he got books out on constructivism and minimalism. And I was just taken by it. And I was like, wow, this is amazing. This is incredible. So I was looking at people like Judd, Sol Lewitt, Frank Stella, Dan Flavin. Agnes Martin, I think she was Agnes in Agnes yeah. Martin. Yeah. And I was just like, I just absolutely love their work, and but I didn't understand it. And this was a time where, you know, my English wasn't great and I, I still, I'm still struggling to kind of read. Um, so I'm dyslexic as well. So it kind of really... You know, I was really excited, but just didn't know how to kind of pursue this route without really understanding. So I took kind of a research approach, which is that I thought rather than going down a theoretical route, I went down a practical route and I wanted to kind of understand abstraction. I wanted to understand minimalism, constructivism. And, and I thought, you know, the best way to do that is through material, through physically making things. And so I came back to the studio and I made, I looked at my work and at the time I was doing a lot of figurative stuff. It was awful. And painting. Painting and drawing. Right. You know, but there was something in those that I could see that was actually very abstract and it was about light, it was about colour, it was about form. And so I started making a list of things and immediately I could see how abstract everything was. And so I then took the approach of looking at light and form initially. And then I think it was in the second year of my MA that I decided to focus on color and just primarily on color. And again, that was kind of through practical research. How would you define minimalism for people listening that don't know what that is well for me it's kind of reduction kind of reducing something down to the most kind of basic material and form where it's kind of feels very pure 
and feels very stripped back. And I think, you know, a lot of the work, I mean, sometimes people use illusion to describe my work, which I really don't like. So, I, I mean, I like to think that I'm not really trying to deceive the viewer. You know, as you get closer to the work, the work kind of reveals itself. The material or the, or the process gets revealed. So, yeah, I feel like minimalism is kind of going back to kind of the most simplest kind of the purest form, form. Yeah. and constructivism well because we, we mentioned that how did you find that in Rana's I, words I struggled with that actually I struggled with constructivism because I, I liked the idea of it but I think it still felt too complex too many layers too many things happening but it was interesting and I think I needed to kind of go through that phase of constructivism and understand it and understand. And I think that really made me look at light in a way that I hadn't done before. So, yeah. What is it though? What is constructivism? Um, God, now you're putting me in the yeah. spot. <laughs> <laughs> this is like art class. Yeah, exactly. I know. Nothing. That's brilliant. Um, <laughs> I'm so sorry. I just think like people listening who wouldn't know what that word is. And I think the whole point yeah. of our show is that we want people to feel like, oh, okay, that's a reference that I don't know what it is. Because if you're in, not in the art world, no, you wouldn't, know, you wouldn't have any idea what constructivism is. That's well, true. constructivism with art, though, was an early 20th century art movement, essentially, wasn't it? Yeah, and it was an and art movement that kind of, kind of really looked at kind of movement and building and lots of kind of elements and interaction as well that's kind of how I see it I mean I might be getting it completely wrong no I think that's right and also it was like modern industrial society that they were kind of looking at and it was quite um strict in some ways and in the forms of the shapes that they use which in a way is actually quite different to what you do because I think your work has a, a softer edge to it yeah. you know what I mean like even if you think of the work at the box right now yeah. it's almost like these clouds like Russ described it as a cloud burst yeah. Do you know what I mean like yours are much more nature related well mm. I think this was something that you know again I, I felt like I was being pigeonholed and that's something mm. that I really don't like happening and I I'm always I have these moments in the studio where I feel like I, I need a break from hard edge geometry and and kind of brutalist kind of forms. And so it's great when there is an element of kind of an organic kind of fluid approach where things can happen, something can go wrong, and that kind of throws up new questions and new ideas. And I love that. And I think, you know, sometimes when you're using a material, you can you know, you can get bogged down by the function of it or you can be really limited by, or you think, well, this material can only be used this way and that's it. Well, actually, no, you know, it doesn't have to be. There is no rules. And and I think that's the kind of approach that I like to take and I like to kind of have in the work element of organic geometry. 
<laughs> yeah. The, the two works we've been talking about today in London and Plymouth, the thing also that really strikes me in your work as a general thing is that you often don't use a plinth. So you're making sculptural interventions, but there's no plinth. And I know you studied at the Slade, and I, I heard that there was a whole movement where it was quite anti-plinth. Oh, really? And I know, like, they're, they're, yeah, there's lots of... Um, well, not anti-plinth, yeah. but I think it's this idea that can sculpture be something that isn't just presented yeah. as an object yeah. to be fetishized or something. Yeah. And actually sculpture's potential is so much more than just an object sitting on a plinth. I'm not saying you can't make work like that. I'm just saying that within your work, it seems like you often have things hanging on the wall yeah. directly, which are sculptural, though. Or you have installations like in the ground yeah. or, you know, hanging suspended like in the box. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Is that something you've ever thought about? Like, no, I, you're right, actually. I mean, I missed out on the whole kind of that moment at Slade uh, conversation. <laughs> I might be it. making it up. No, I'm I've heard sure. that as well. I, I've heard I, it. I thought yeah. it was Philip de Barlow or something. Um, like that, that is or... true, but I did painting, so um, oh, of course you did. You know, yeah, I did have a couple of conversation with Philida, um, which oh. I loved. But yeah, I did painting, so I was allowed to do whatever I wanted. And, Interesting. Um, you yeah. know, a lot of my work were kind of wall based, so I was always kind of striving for the work to come out of the wall into the physical space. And I do mm. find actually plinth quite limiting and as almost like a barrier, you know, you put yeah. around the work. So my work has always been something that kind of interacts with the space. So it would it, it's a bit strange to, you know, to have it on the plinth. I struggle with that. And I always try and kind of as much as possible to remove the plinth. And there is a work that the Royal Academician that now owns, you know, and this is an early work that I'm finally letting go. Um, but the way initially, its, it's title is number 174, and it initially it was on a base that, you know, and that was the only way that it could kind of be held up. And... And I, I got it out recently and I was like, this is something that I I really don't like. I don't want it. How can I move it away? And we've been working on it for months to find a solution to remove the plinth where it's just literally sitting on the floor and you could really wow. see it with the material, whatever the floor is going to be. Yeah, for me, I, I, I definitely want to make work and love making work that really responds to a space really responds to the floor the wall you know um the light in the space um doesn't matter where it is and i think there's something about when two materials kind of connect as well whether they kind of touch or they just float above you or know, cross over each other or yeah and i think it's to, it's to do with the kind of the sensory aspect of my work you know I feel a lot of the time you know it's yeah even though the first sensory is kind of visual for me that's how I then kind of react and then you'd get the kind of the goosebumps you know it's that kind of you it really makes you think about your position mm. your existent in in the space so goosebumps is a feeling that you know when the work is good for you not necessarily but sometimes <laughs> sometimes yeah yeah how do you know when a work is ready then what does that feel like then uh <laughs> i was gonna say sometimes it's quite um exhilarating 
I mean, I can't, I mean, what are the, what are the words that you would use to kind of, kind of mind blowing and you get really excited, you're screaming in the space and you're like oh. wanting to share. There are other moments where it's just kind of silent and quite contemplative. So it really varies. Something that struck me about your practice is the need for collaboration, not only with curators. I know you've worked with like Cliff Lawson recently and, yeah. um, and Sarah from um, from the box, but and, and also your gallery, I guess, Kate McGarry. How important is collaboration? Because I know you have a studio of people that that assist you, who are probably other artists themselves. Yeah, um, it's it's really important. I love isolation, but I also love being around people and having conversation. Um, yeah, we're we're a small team of artists, writers, designers, and I. I think it's so important to have conversation, to be critique of your own work and have other people, you know, be honest about your work as well. But I, yeah, I mean, I've collaborated with architects, um, fashion designers, um, musicians as well. One of the early collaboration is with someone called Haytal and David Corney. He's, he's amazing. It was quite funny. I remember... He was introduced by Eddie Peak, and he came to the studio and he was like, I love your work. I really want to, I want us to collaborate. And I was like, okay, but I haven't heard your music. And so we started listening and I was thinking, oh my God, this is not the kind of music we listen to in the studio. And this is not something that, and he was like, no, you know, I, I just, I would really love to kind of, uh, collaborate and I want to find a way and I was like okay so he left the album and you know we were listening to it in the studio and the more I'd listened the more I got into his music so his music is electronic and um, and I just yeah I just got more and more excited and so we met up a few more times and spent time in the studio played around with materials and light and sound and tried to kind of pull apart his kind of, you know, track that we were interested in kind of using. And um, out of that process, uh, a piece of work came out, which has artificial light and sound element to it and movement. And then Roxander was someone that, again, I love the fact that it takes me out of my comfort zone, you know, and it really pushes my work, pushes the way I think and the way I look at my work. And I think we need to kind of, I think we can kind of sometime play too safe. Roxander's a fashion Ro- designer, Roxander's, sorry. Yeah, she's amazing, yeah. Roxander. And I can imagine you two, even though what you're doing is quite different, yeah. it also has shared sensibilities. Oh my God, I, I love her clothes. I love how she, again, you know, I feel like, you know, that's where I can connect with Roxanda in the way she uses fabric and just, you know, doesn't see kind of a limit, you know, and how she yeah. pushes the the structure of the fabric, you know, and you think, God. But you, you've, you've also made um, furniture, haven't you? Yes, yes. Because I, I didn't know that. I, I found that out this morning. I was yeah. a bit like, wow, I didn't realise. Yes, I was, um, I, I can't remember what year, um, it was the, I did freeze one year and furniture companies saw my work and they were like, oh, can you, can you design a piece of furniture? And I kind of kept 
pushing it back further and further. And then it was kind of very last minute. They were like, you know, the deadline's running out now. We need something from you. <laughs> deadlines are good for that reason. <laughs> deadlines are good. And I was like, okay. So I was looking at my work. And at the time I was using a lot of triangles. So I started kind of folding paper and and using kind of that geometry. And as, as I was folding, it kind of reconnected and that was really exciting moment. And I was thinking, wow, you know, that's kind of repeated geometry that creates this piece of furniture. But then when you also look at it from either end, the triangle flips. And anyway, so we made one in the studio, actually two. We made this tiny one um, children version and then an adult version and then we're like okay well we don't have the equipment to make it in the studio so we have to outsource it and so at the time I was working with a structural workshop who are an engineer company that did this building and I sent it to them and I remember sending them all the information I was like can you do this drawing that I can then just send out to the fabricators and he came back and it's like no Rana you can't you can't make it. This is not possible. And I was like, it is possible. You know, have a look at the photographs I have attached. And yeah, it was a really funny moment kind of, you know, working with, again, kind of, you know, people that do something else completely. And yeah, I, lo I love those kind of conversations where, you know, you like kind of push yourself and see where the work will go. And I love how disciplines, you can blur the boundaries between the different disciplines before we get into our final questions i would love to discuss your titles or, or lack of title rather that you use a number the work that's with art of london is number one two seven three flags yeah. that goes down I'm piccadilly glad you remember that <laughs> why and you said well you said the one about the ra that's an early work is 170 174, well, 174 yeah. so when did numbers, is there a number one and a number yes. two and a number three? And do they exist still? And wh why no, did you decide earlier on? Destroyed. Oh, no. no. So wh wh at what point do we get numbers that still exist? And why did you decide to have numbers instead um, of titles? So I found myself spending a long time. This is when I was at Chelsea. I found that. I was, I was spending a long time to figure out titles and stressing about them. And I thought, this is kind of waste of my time and it's time is valuable. I'd rather be, you know, making things than spending ages thinking about title and what they mean. And then I was thinking about actually how the viewer interacts with the work and what it is that I want them to take from the work. And I realized that when I, go around art galleries or museums or you know look at public art I don't necessarily I'm not immediately drawn to finding out what the title is and what they mean and what all of those things because I think they're not significant I I want to have my own perspective I want to have my own view and emotions and reactions to the work so, and that's where I just started thinking, well, actually then, you know, the title becomes an unnecessary um, component to the work. It's almost, you know, because the first thing you see is the work, not the title. And so, yeah, so I decided to kind of remove title from all my work and they just get numbered in 
the order that they get finished, basically, which makes life so much easier. What What, what is the number <laughs> up to now? And what number exists, the earliest number? If you say one, two, three was destroyed. Yeah. Oh, God, that's a really difficult question. I can't look at it. But we're up to almost, I think, two and a half. And it's just going to keep, I mean, for the rest of your career. So so when it goes into like 10,000, it will just be like number 10,000. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But then also, I also have works that are on paper. So that's a whole nother set of titling. So yeah, so that doesn't quantify the number of works I produce. I am a bit of a workaholic and I do make a lot of work not necessarily not everything goes out not everything you know is visible there are works that I don't feel happy about but get a title and then they sit in the studio yeah well you're, you're talking to two workaholics here and yeah. uh, we really, we really <laughs> yeah, appreciate your that. energy I think we're uh, kindred spirits <laughs> when it comes to that yeah. so we're moving on to our final questions the first one is Rana if you could do an art heist you could steal any artwork in the world for yourself what would it be and why well actually i am sitting with a artwork that i absolutely love and this is a painting by testure it's an early painting from the 80 um early 80s and i absolutely love tess's work and she's someone that really you know has been just amazing to me and I love conversations with her and she was your tutor at one point right no actually I applied to the Slade because of Tess but she retired the year that I got in and so I didn't get a chance until you know you could select artists um to come in to give you um tutorials and so I requested Tess Duray as one of the artists and we just hit it off basically and she offered me a job, a part-time oh. job and assisting her. And um, yeah, and so I, I love her early works. Um, I love her new works as well, but I really wanted one of those early works. So yes, I'm living with one of them. So you're the only artist or the only person we've ever had on whose art heist they actually have already. So that's, that's fantastic. <laughs> Tess makes amazing prints as well. I oh guess. my god, yes! And well, I'd love to interview her. Oh, she's you so should cool. definitely. She is yeah. hilarious. Okay. It, it would be very entertaining. Um, she's quite a pioneer, really. Yes, I, I, I love her, and she's also an RA, isn't yes. she? Um, the other question we ask every guest is, "What is your favourite colour?" No, and I'm really excited to ask you that. You can ask I know. <laughs> that is like um, I don't know. It depends on the day. You know, there are moments where I'd be like, I, you know bright yellow and there will be moments where I want bright pink or red so it really depends on the day I cannot I mean I love that pink Robert behind you pink panther neon panther yeah. oh yeah neon. <laughs> um, I mean I use a lot of fluorescent colors in my work so um yeah it's I can't you can't make me choose that's okay, fine we'll let well. you have all the spectrum of yes. color what is the best advice you've ever received when it comes to your work Oh God, that's a that's a good one. I'm just trying to think. Probably it was probably actually Tess. You know, don't let the outside world kind of dictate. You know how 
you make your work or what you make. I think I remember actually us having a conversation about abstraction and how it's not in fashion and how, you know, figurative art was, you know, kind of taking the, the limelight. And I was like, well, I don't think it's, you know, I'm making work to kind of be in fashion. I'm not making work to be in the moment. I think I think that was something that was kind of really reassuring, just hearing, you know, having that conversation with her and knowing that you don't need to, you don't need to be kind of, be going what the art world is saying you can yeah i love that well this has been amazing rana your um your work with art of london the art of entertainment the number 1273 flags going along piccadilly is up until august 20th your solo dappled light which is at the box in plymouth will be on until the 24th of september and that's supported by the henry moore foundation who we love but also your you you made a few works in response to sir joshua reynolds which are in a, a, a kind of concurrent yeah. exhibition uh, called reframing reframing reynolds, reynolds yeah. a celebration which goes on to the end of october yeah. so there's plenty of opportunity if you're in the uk uh this summer this autumn to see rana's work yes. and experience it yes well this has been brilliant thank oh. you for coming on and giving no, us your thank time you so much for having me i really enjoyed our conversation great questions and thanks for making the work in london as well yes. for everybody this summer because it's such a generous thing it's like a I don't know. I love artworks that are just around yeah. us and kind of improve our experience. Oh, it's so of the important everyday, to have so. work in the public, and it's so important to have work that you know from lots of different artists. It's it's varied and makes you think about the space, makes you think about your connection to to things. Yeah. And you can go to Instagram and follow at the Art of London, also the Box Plymouth. And are you on Instagram? Yes, it's Rana Begum Studio. Perfect. And I love your website, by the way. Yes, You've got such a... Like, I don't even really often go to yeah. artist websites, but yours is the amazing. It's a proper yep. archive. Hey. And the photography for your works yeah. is so beautifully done. Yeah, like, wow. no, we, we try very hard to kind of... Yes, actually, it needs to be updated with more recent projects because Desertex isn't on there and I think City Island isn't on there. And so, yeah, there's lots of projects that we've done that needs to go on the website so Ron, as well as those projects that we just said what else is upcoming for you um so i have a commission that is going to be unveiled at bristol beacon in october and i also have a solo show coming up in st albans where i grew up at the museum there what is it like going back to st albans then with work? <laughs> it's really it is really strange i mean i go back because my family's still there but it feels really strange going back there and to have a show solo show there as well um yeah i'm excited too it's strange and exciting brilliant looking forward to those well thank you so much we'll be back very soon bye Cheers, Rana. bye, Rana. bye. bye. You've been listening to Talk Art with Robert Diamond and Russell Tovey. Follow us on Instagram at Talk Art, where you can view images of all artworks discussed in today's episode, with music by Jack Northover. Subscribe to Talk Art at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Acast, or wherever it is that you get your podcasts. Give us a rating and write us a comment. Thanks for listening. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. 
Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com